On this episode of the podcast, Josh tackles the big one. We're talking about the trading of Babe Ruth. Pew pew! This is what I've been looking forward to since the start of this podcast. I'm ready. I really don't know much about the whole trade of it all. I just know it has a curse. It's iconic. It's going to be a long one. You better buckle up. The trading of Babe Ruth, a story in three parts. Mm-hmm. Three parts? Three, three parts. Recline that sofa and loosen that tie, because this is mismanaged. Welcome to Mismanaged, a weekly podcast where we kick back and criticize the failings of paid sports professionals while also offering them foolproof solutions to all their management woes. I'm Austin Egan. I'm Josh Sweezy. And I'm Nathaniel Westover. Let's get into it. This week, we are, of course, talking about the MLB. Warning to any and all Boston Red Sox fans. You, ju- you just knew this one had to be coming. Yeah. Eventually. It was inevitable. There. It yes. is the ultimate bad trade yes that spans across all sports it's just the worst and it's probably even worse than you think it is oh i'm so excited and we will get into all the nitty gritty details uh this week we are taking it all the way back perhaps as far back as we have ever gone or will ever go in 1914 a young man named george herman ruth jr signed a professional baseball contract with the minor league baltimore orioles gross yes he was taken under the wing of owner and manager jack dunn ruth was heralded as dunn's new darling or project or as would become his nickname dunny's babe Oh. <laughs> oh, I hate that that's the ini- yeah. I hate that yeah. that's the origin. Apparently, Babe was like a very common baseball nickname back in the, you know, 1910s. Babe. <laughs> babe, wait, Babe. It's a hell of a swing, Babe. Babe, no. <laughs> hit the ball, Babe. <laughs> hey, Babe. Uh, babe Ruth hit the ground running in the minor leagues. He was already a star pitcher who was dangerous from the plate. His team played well, but they didn't receive much attention from the fans or the media. A third professional baseball league, the Federal League, ah. had begun play with their local franchise, the Baltimore Terrapins. Isn't that like a kind of turtle? Yes. Ah, because Maryland, University Maryland. of Maryland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, right. Okay. In Baltimore's. In. All yeah. right. So All right, right. Now, right now we have the National League, the American League, and the, the Federal, Federal League. League. The Federal <laughs> League. Uh, the competition between the Orioles and the Terrapins was causing Jack Dunn to lose large amounts of money. So on July 4th, 1914, Babe Ruth, along with Ernie Shore and Ben Egan, were sold <gasps> to the Boston Red Sox. Dad? Uh, yes, your dad in Grandpa? 1914. <laughs> no, my father's Grandpa. quite old. 200 years at least. Oh. Uh, they were sold to the Boston Red Sox for a reported sum of $25,000. Oh, you said $25. $25. <laughs> 25 nickels. <laughs> and a pack of gum. <laughs> pack. They really uh, just did it for the gum. Yep. <laughs> In 1901, the American League declared itself equal to the National League. Oh, was it on like a formal, I like to think it's like founding fathers. Yes. Oh, just sort of like, we here today <laughs> declare that we are in fact equal. It was actually just the first tweet in history. 
so with this announcement included the creation of a Boston franchise, the Boston Americans. Woo! You know what? As far as weird nicknames go, that one's actually pretty good. Boston, pretty, you deserve it. Uh, in 1903, the team won their first American League pennant, and as a result, the Americans competed in the first modern World Series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Woo! Go Pirates! I doubt it. Uh, no, the Americans won their first World Series five games to three. America! Back when they played five games for some reason. Oh, just well, first one to five? Yep. Huh? <laughs> five is a nice, odd number. <laughs> they also won the 1904 American League pennant over the hated rivals, the New York Highlanders. Soon to be They're the New York. They won. Yes, indeed. But sadly, the NL winning New York Giants declined to play any postseason games. So they were just... Wasn't a World Series the next year. The Giants were like, oh, no, we're good. We actually. don't want to lose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're like, we won our league. I know you guys say we're equal, but we're not. So we're not going to, you know, dignify your play. I disagree. <laughs> no. The Americans fell off the wagon a little bit, and by 1906, they had lost 105 games and finished last in the league. Oh, no. Oof. Were they still playing a full 162 back then? or I think it, it was like, like 140. That's so much it's worse. Still yeah. It's yeah, still it's a still lot a either lot way. <laughs> but I was like asking to have a bright side yep. to it. Yep, yep, a 105 yep. 162. It's bad, but not awful. So now in their darkest day, uh, December of 1907, owner John I. Taylor proposed changing the name from the Americans to the Red Sox. Mm. So when they were in the pits, they were like, it's time for a rebrand. We're now the Boston Red Sox. Maybe all the fans will forget about how bad we <laughs> how were. How bad we were Get this that season. Taste out Just of our like mouth. it's a new team. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I don't remember these guys. By 1909, the Sox had returned to form and won 105 games and the pennant. So just a full circle. Sw- all it takes around. is changing your mm-hmm. name. Look out, Washington. Yes. This uh, would be a Red Sox record until 2018 when they won 108 games in a season. But then there were more games, so it doesn't really count. I don't know. You decide. I mean, you could probably do the math to see just like the percentage percentage. Mm -hmm. of games won. For sure. Uh, The Sox won the World Series again in 1912, this time beating the Giants 4-3-1. to to They had a tie? Yeah. It got dark. Why? Oh. They had to go home. They didn't just they continue the game could. later? Nope. I, just, I actually don't know what happened, but there's just a tie in there somehow. They got they tired. <laughs> they were fatigued. Probably. <laughs> Their wives called them home. It was time to go. The dinner bell rang. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it was time to go to the factory. All right. I, you know, <laughs> actually, Maybe. that would make a lot of yes. sense. Uh, this brings us to 1914 and the acquisition of our man, Babe Ruth. He played his first game as a pitcher for the Red Sox on July 11th, 1914, in a 4-3 defeat of the Cleveland Naps. What? Yep. Wait a minute. Um, please tell me that's like a s- referring to sleeping and not a wildly mm. offensive... Honestly, 50-50, it could go either way. Because <laughs> I'm not familiar, but it feels like, I given do. what their mascot mm-hmm. becomes, that it's probably something offensive. I was a little afraid to look too deeply into it, but I think we have West over here with the Google. He's got the research going. And it could just be that Wikipedia fully lied to me. It might not even be the Naps. Who could say? 
Wikipedia could say. Probably. Pro baseball reference, maybe. MLB history. Dun, dun, Babe Ruth dun, himself. Dun, 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 uh, they dun. were named to honor a Native American former ball, ball player, Napoleon Lajoie. Lajoie? Uh, okay, so it was a, in 1903. A short mm. version of his name. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so that's actually better than what their mascot yes. ended up being. <laughs> Way to go, Cleveland. So it's kind of like, oh, they're really into naming their franchises after important people. They really are. In their history. Browns. You know what? Respect. Cavaliers. Well, they, they it's really just the Browns. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, part of the reason they changed their name was because he left the team, but was still playing baseball. Oh, <laughs> that's awkward. Yeah, that awkward. is pretty embarrassing. All right. But still. <laughs> uh, Ruth lost his second start and then was not utilized for most of the rest of the 1914 season. Waste. Yes, yes. He's, he's a young man at this point, though. He's still coming up in the, the league. The war hasn't come. Ruth did not immediately get along with his new teammates. They considered him brash and thought that as a rookie, he should be humble and inconspicuous. He would insist on taking batting practice, despite being a rookie who didn't play regularly and a pitcher. So, as such, he once arrived to practice to find all of his bats sawn in half. Wow. (laughs) Which makes it hard to practice batting. (laughs) So petty. Sorry, Somebody had to bring a saw to the practice facilities. Well, if you think about it, maybe one of the guys was a carpenter. <laughs> he just had his, his tool job. belt on. Yeah, and he was just like, oh, he, made he the came. Team's bats. <laughs> <laughs> he came straight to the field from the warehouse. Perfect. Oh, my goodness. Ruth was sent down to Boston's minor league team, the Providence Grays. Ugh, Providence. <laughs> in August of 1914. I feel like we've been in 1914 for years now. Uh, He would spend the whole year there working on his pitching and helping them win the minor league pennant. He would also hit his first professional and only minor league home run during this time. Hey, good for him. Ruth had impressed Red Sox management enough to earn him a spot in the starting rotation for the 1915 season. He would go 18-8 as a starter and batted uh, 315 with four home runs. The Sox won the pennant, but with the healthy pitching staff of Ray Collins, who had won 20 games in 1913 and 14, and Dutch Leonard, who had broken the record for lowest ERA in a single season in 1914, Ruth was not called on to pitch in the 1915 World Series against the Phillies, which Boston won in five games. So he got a title under his belt, but not because he really did anything. Well, he didn't anything. do much to no. it in the postseason. Yeah. Also, I'm questioning that this was the Phillies now. Was in it 1915? I thought they were still the Athletics at this point. They might have been. I think I just saw Philadelphia and wrote Phillies. Every Oakland team that existed <laughs> was once was, in Philadelphia. I know! <laughs> That's why I have to Google and double-check myself. Westover, Google it for me. I'm busy. Yeah, Westover, you've kind of taken on the role as a researcher here. <laughs> I'm going to keep going, and you come back and correct me. The next year, Ruth really hit his stride with a 23-12 and record and a 1.75 ERA and nine shutouts, nice. both of which led the league. Uh, they were still the Phillies at this time. Okay. When did they switch to the Athletics? Because they do later in this story. Yeah. I'm second-guessing everything now. Well, that's probably fair once you put <laughs> that bug in your head. Uh, the Red Sox won the pennant in the World Series, again this time defeating the Brooklyn Robins, or Dodgers, in five games. Wow. Ruth started Game 2, which they won 2-1 to one in 14 innings. Ruth's performance is still the longest postseason complete game victory, so probably gonna gonna stand forever because nobody. Wait, so he pitched all fourteen innings. Mm-hmm. 
What a man. Yep. What we, a titan. Dang. We will never see that again. So no. that, that one will stand the test of time. <laughs> After the 1916 season, Red Sox owner Joseph Lannon sold the team to a three-man group headed by New York theatrical promoter Harry Frazee for close to a million dollars. A million dollars? Yes. Uh-huh. So the Phillies and Athletics uh-huh. were two separate teams at this time. Oh. That'll do it. Hence the confusion. Uh, this deal included $400,000 in cash and a three-year note for $262,000. That will be important later. Okay. Ruth went 23-13 and 13 with a 2.01 ERA and six shutouts in 1917. He had a new manager named Jack Barry. On June 23rd, while at, a Washington, while at Washington for a game, umpire Brick Owens called Ruth's first four pitches as balls. Ooh. Ruth was upset by this and threw a punch at the umpire, which got him ejected from the game. Oh, that's actually surprising back then <laughs> that he still got ejected. Right. <laughs> I feel he, like that would be up for grabs. <laughs> he was later suspended for ten days and fined a hundred dollars. Wow. I know, They right? punish their players way harsher <laughs> than they do today. Uh, Ernie Shore came in to replace Ruth. Uh, the runner on base was caught stealing, and Shore retired the next 26 batters to win the game. Oh, It woof. was listed as a perfect game for many years until in 1991, the MLB Committee on Statistical Accuracy amended it to be listed as a combined no-hitter. Because, of course, the MLB has a committee on statistical accuracy. Well, yeah. If, well, it's 70% of the game. If you a guy, guy on base... <laughs> yep. It's not a perfect game. Exactly. Yeah, but just let something... I mean, it was so <laughs> it was long ago. Let legends be legends. It stood right. for almost 70... Oh, yeah, over 70 years. Like, yeah. yeah, okay, I get you want to maintain the integrity of a perfect game because it's so rare. Mm-hmm. But let legends be legends. Right. Uh, Ruth wasn't used much as a hitter in 1917, but he still hit 325 with two home runs. And now, the U.S. entered World War I. The Great War kind of overshadowed baseball, and players began to get conscripted left and right. This included manager Jack Barry, who was a player manager. Oh, we yes. love a player manager. <laughs> but now you lose your manager and to one war. of your best players. Well, they probably needed him as an officer. To the wall. Got a player... O- officers in the World Wars. The best player managers there are. <laughs> Uh, he got called up to the Navy uh, after the 1917 season, and Frazee brought in a new manager, Ed Barrow, uh, who had been around baseball for 30 years but had never played. He's actually the only manager to win a World Series that wasn't a player at some point. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Like, ever. Yeah. Major Fa- League, obviously. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like, to this day. Yeah. Wow, that is that such a unique. Look, so that didn't play right. any level. That yes, so, exactly didn't play any level of baseball. Okay, okay, not just didn't play in the majors. Okay, that's still surprising. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you think about it. Most managers these days are former players. Yeah, you get that in like pretty much every sport nowadays. Yeah, I get. I mean, that makes that sense. So, 
hands-on experience with mm-hmm. the sport at that level. But yeah, he was around baseball for 30 years, but just yeah. never played. Hey, I've been around baseball. I've, I've been a season it. ticket holder. So, so some of his players had to advise him on game strategy. <laughs> hey, so I'm thinking of doing this one today. I'm thinking of going to start this guy. No. He pitched yesterday. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with that? Yeah, he's good to go, right? He slept. With so many vacancies in the regular lineup, Ruth was dissatisfied with playing every five days or so. He wanted to play every game. Yeah. But he was considered the best left-handed pitcher in baseball, so it was risky to have him play any other position. Sure. But the combination of World War I and an inexperienced manager led to Ruth seeing his first major stint as an outfielder. Just snuck on out there. Yeah. (laughs) He was like, I'm just going to wander out into left. Don't mind me. In the shortened season, Ruth hit 300 with 11 home runs, which was enough to secure him a share of the home run title with Tilly Walker of the Philadelphia Athletics. Nice. He was occasionally used as a pitcher with a record of 13 and 7 and a 2.22 ERA. Oh, wow. In 1918, the Red Sox won their third World Series in four years. Oh, Ruth won uh, Game 1 in a 1-0 shutout of the Chicago Cubs. Before Game 4, Ruth hurt his left hand in a fight, but still pitched anyway. Yeah, he did. Yeah, because that is what you do. <laughs> if you you're do. not in World War One, if you leave the game because of injury, you need to just leave forever. That is just embarrassing. <laughs> he gave up 7 hits and 6 walks, but the fielding behind him was fantastic. And aided by his own batting efforts, including a fourth inning triple, nice. the Sox were up two to nothing. Wow! Grip it and rip it, baby. The Cubs came back to tie uh, in the eighth, but the Sox would get in a run at the bottom of the inning to retake the lead. After giving up a hit and a walk at the start of the ninth inning, Ruth was relieved by pitcher Joe Bush. But Ruth didn't leave the game. Instead, he was sent to play left field. Yeah. <laughs> Never leave. Yep. Bush retired the side, giving Rude Ruth his third and final World Series pitching victory. Ruth would go 3-0 and in World Series games, and before allowing the Cubs to score in Game 4, he had gone 29 and two-thirds consecutive innings scoreless. Wow. This what record streak. stood for more than 40 years before being broken by Whitey Ford in 1961. I'll allow it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that seems fair. Ruth was apparently more proud of this feat than any of his batting records. Oh, that's kind sure. of precious. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> We're like, he still has like 15 years left in his career. Yeah. You love to see all <laughs> legends really care about one specific uh-huh. record they have. And it's not even like the most famous it's record It's not even the one they're like, yeah. known for. Uh, in the nineteen nineteen season... Ruth was used as a pitcher only 17 out of the 130 games that he played. Uh, He was used primarily as a pitcher at the start of the season, but once the Sox slipped out of the pennant race, the manager did not mind Ruth focusing on his hitting. By early July, Ruth had already tied his career-best 11 home runs from 1918. Now he had his eye on the American League record of 16 home runs. Ruth matched that on July 29th. The next record was the major league record set uh, set at 25 by Buck Freeman in 1899. Wow. Woof. Yes. Going all the way back. Name, though. <laughs> uh, Ruth hit that in September, but it turns out 
Riders had discovered that Ned Williamson had hit 27 home runs for the Chicago White Stockings in 1884. Well, they really just keep moving that <laughs> line for the bar a little bit higher. Like, oh, babe's coming up on it. You think uh, you got quickly, it? make oh. up a person. <laughs> Gotta be quicker than that. <laughs> on September 20th, Ruth hit a game-winning home run in the bottom of the ninth to tie Williamson's record. He would hit two more to finish with a new Major League record of 29 home runs. He accompanied this feat by being the first major league player to hit a home run at all eight ball- ballparks in his league. Nice. All right. I mean, there's eight, but still. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. So, in Ruth's six seasons in Boston, he won 89 games and recorded a 2.19 ERA. He had a four-year stretch where he was second in the AL in wins and ERA behind Walter Johnson, but Ruth had the advantage in the head-to-head matchups against him. Nice. So, one of the best pitchers in the league. For sure. The 1919 season saw a record-breaking attendance for the Red Sox, mostly due to Ruth and his home run hitting prowess. In March of 1919, Ruth signed a new three-year contract for a total of $27,000. Cool. Good money in 1919. Do we have the conversion? Uh, Westover? Pick up that phone and Google. $27,000. Do you want to make a prediction? In 1919. I'm going to... Ooh, I don't know. It's been so long since I've used a conversion in one of our stories. (laughs) It's been so long since it was 1919. I'm going to go ahead and say it's a crisp... Million. I'm going to go a flat 200,000. Josh is closer. Yeah, I went high. (laughs) You went went real real high. high. Yep. Uh, it's equivalent to about $426,954. Okay, right around half a million. Well, yeah, but we're going to round you down and me down as well, and so then I hit it first. (laughs) Okay, perfect. (laughs) Uh, Ruth was fully aware that he was the reason for attendance being so high at Fenway, and he wanted to be paid accordingly. Sure. Apparently, he demanded that his salary be doubled for the contract that he just signed, or he would sit out and so make his money. So he wanted close to a crisp million. Yes! <laughs> Otherwise, he would sit out and make money just based off his popularity elsewhere. Endorsements. There you go. Commercials. What? Radio commercials? Probably. Adver- advertisements? <laughs> he would get the best shift at the steel mill. <laughs> for sure. Uh, These demands were causing other players in the Red Sox organization to make similar demands. Turns out when Uh one of your labor force starts wanting a raise... Yeah, when you give a mouse a cookie, all the other mice want one too. Exactly. Uh, And to top it all off, Frazee had become asset rich and cash poor. With the war, people's budgets and desires to go to entertainment like Broadway shows had slowed, putting Frazee in a tough position. Just wait a couple years, champ. (laughs) The 20s are coming. They're coming. They're right around the corner. The straw that broke the camel's back was in November of 1919 when the previous Red Sox owner called in his note. Oh, Mm -hmm. boy. The $262,000 note he still owed from when he bought the Red Sox. So on December 26, 1919, the contract of George Herman Ruth Jr., was sold to the New York Yankees for a reported price of $125,000, including $25,000 in cash. The deal also involved a $300,000 loan from Yankees owner Jacob Rupert 
to Frazee that was secured on the mortgage of Fenway Park. Oh, so the Yankees owned the Red Sox. Mm, they owned their ballpark. Kind of literally. literally. Yes. <laughs> yes. Quite literally. <laughs> uh, the often told story is that Frazee needed the money to finance his newest hit musical production called No No Nanette. <laughs> no, 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 But that show wouldn't debut until 1925. No, 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 was based off of the show My Lady Friends, which Frazee produced and opened on December 3rd, 1919. Okay. So the story is true in essence. My Lady Friends ran for over 200 performances until it closed after the leading man jumped from his fifth story hotel room. He killed oh! himself? <laughs> Oh no! Uh, why? If you're going for that, why the fifth story? Go higher. At least, like, make sure. No. You know, fifth story oh. seems right in that questionable area of if it will work or not. <laughs> oh my goodness! And it's. I have to imagine it's because it was in a show called My Lady Friends. <laughs> Broadway's a tough gig. <laughs> Broadway's a tough gig. Westover, research. Give us the synopsis of My Lady Friends. <laughs> I really. Give us the I really Wikipedia plot summary. I have to know what my lady friends was about. It's very explicit. I would imagine. <laughs> well, I wouldn't imagine from the name my lady friends, but mm. as soon as you said no, no, Nanette, <laughs> no, I was no, like, Nanette. this is going to be probably a burlesque musical, Ooh. like a forerunner to Chicago. Mm-hmm. But Chicago or burlesque is like no, no, <laughs> no, no, that's, Chicago. That's two on the nose. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's burlesque style. It's oh, not it's style. It's you understand. I do. I'm it's a you now. theater noir. <laughs> theater of the mind. You tell me, am I using that right? You guys studied that nonsense. Yes. Ah, I used Perfect. it right. I have no idea. Charizard! <laughs> <laughs> Always comes back. Alright, I'm not finding much coming out of it. It's all leading, like, it's time to Babe Ruth and some... Oh, ah, boo, hiss. Alright, well... I guess we'll never know what my lady friends was about. We'll have a short ten-minute episode one day. Alright, if your grandfather has a box full of scripts in their attic, and they have one from the 1919 production of My Lady Friends, you better send that to this studio. Right now. We need it for our research. Yes. Alright, let's talk about the deal itself. Because $100,000 for the most recognizable player, if not the best player, best best baseball player of all time, is one thing. But it's actually worse than all of that. Hang on, because there's going to be some boring finance talk, but I promise it's important. Money! So the reported price of $125,000 was actually incorrect, according to the Yankees' ledgers from that year, which are housed in the MLB Hall of Fame. Rupert paid $100,000 for Ruth, broken up into four $25,000 installments. The first was paid in cash, and the other three were paid as promissory notes. But Frazee never actually received payment for those notes. He was so cash-strapped that he sold those notes at a discount to the bank. (laughs) But that's not all. That $300,000 loan that Rupert gave to Frazee had a 7% yearly interest rate on it. Oh my goodness. Close to $21,000 a year. Is this man going to lose money? After five years, Frazee had paid $115,000 in interest out of pocket, and Rupert had the deed to Fenway Park. So the Red Sox actually paid the Yankees to take Babe Ruth. Oh my gosh! (laughs) Yes. No! (laughs) What? What? Yep. He paid so much in interest that he paid over what he had received the previ- five years ago for Babe Ruth. Oh, 
What? No. Bro. No. <laughs> you dummy. Oh, the Babe Ruth trade was contingent on Ruth signing a new deal with the Yankees. The Yankees took care of this quickly, agreeing to double his salary for the two years remaining on his deal. Allegedly, Rupert actually got Frazy to pay half of the raise. So he continued to pay Babe Ruth for two years. This man <laughs> is just getting shellacked. And if he had could have made it like two more years. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it goodness. just adds insult to injury. That's brutal. So before trading Ruth, the Red Sox had won five of the first 16 World Series. After the trade, the Red Sox were cursed. And we will unpack that across the next two episodes. As in part two of the Babe Ruth trade, we talk about Babe Ruth's historic career with the Yankees. And in part three, we will do a deep dive on the curse of the Bambino. <sighs> wow. Already... Chaos. I can tell you, what a mistake. <laughs> if it, this is all I know about it, don't know anything else, If wow. Babe Ruth goes on to be no one, just If he Joe goes Schmo. on to play, a, yeah, even if he doesn't play another game, mm -hmm. you just basically gave away $115,000 <laughs> in the deed to your stadium. Yes. Yeah. Basically gave away, ugh, that's some nonsense. Well, now that Josh has presented the first part... Of a three-part series move of, of the worst time. move of all sports history, which with just even these little added details beforehand, I was going to be able to say that uh -huh. with these details is becoming clearer and clearer. Yeah, it'll it'll become clearer next part too when we talk about his career. Oh boy, he made him pay. <laughs> oh, did he make him pay? Yeah, because you never think of Babe Ruth the Red Sox. Nope, nope, mm -mm. never. Stripes, baby. But now that we presented that. We're going to be presenting our own proposals to those GMs we believe need our amateur help to make their decisions. Uh, Josh, you got it rolling. Why don't you kick us off here? Happily. My dear GM this week goes out to Minnesota Twins GM, Thad Levine. Tad Levine. Todd. However you want to say it's it. Todd. <laughs> After making the playoffs four of the last five years, you guys have fallen to the bottom of your division. At 64 and 82, it's clear that this year is a wash. But what about next year? Do you think that this was an outlier or just a grim preview of your team's future? I am a big fan of the burn it down method. Dismantle the team, sell the players for any draft picks or promising prospects you can get, let the White Sox and the Indians dance on the top of the division for a while, and then come back with a vengeance. It's not like you guys do anything in the postseason with this group anyway. That's <laughs> very true. <laughs> 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 Got him! Woof. Sorry, twins. Um, but a little correction. It's actually the Guardians? Oh, right. No, not yet. Not They're yet. still the Indians. They no, no. Symbolically, I think <laughs> it's important that we recognize... They They're the guardians. Issues to do, deal with still, right? Oh, because the roller derby. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But can we just say, symbolically, obviously guardians. this is sarcasm because it's a terrible name. <laughs> it's and terrible it's hilarious name. to me that they have more legal they, issues from the guardians that they ever had with the Indians. They should go back to the Naps. You heard it here first. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> to the Napoleons. That would be really good because yeah. you get best of both worlds on mm -hmm. that one. This week, I'm addressing GM of the Oakland Athletics, David Forst. Whoop, whoop. It looks like the team's not going to be moving uh, 
hopefully soon with your new proposed stadium that even got approval from the Oakland City Council. Hooray! So you guys may be moving. It sounds it those pack like of it hyenas. A waterfront deal, which would be nice. They never approve anything that city. But comes what in. if the ocean floods? Ooh, it's a fair point. I don't know. <laughs> Neither do they. Floating These are the bases. questions. Ooh, <gasps> now walk on water. Water polo, but baseball. Anyone <laughs> named Jesus is going to thrive in that stadium. <laughs> Perfect. But we'll see how it all turns out. Is the A's have started to have they started having a pretty good run this year, and then you kind of ran out of steam, and Houston has just kind of been sitting at the top of that division, unfortunately. Yeah, boo. Well, it helps when you cheat. Yeah. Yeah. Jerks. But you guys are only three and a half games out of the wild card, so anything could really happen for you guys. I think a major issue coming your way is this off season. Uh, you have a handful of players that are leaving a free agency. Rude. Uh, Starling Marte, who you acquired this trade deadline, uh, is having a resurgence after playing just terribly in Arizona. And there's a lot of rumors that Matt Olson may be on the trade block, <gasps> uh, drawing a lot of uh, attention from the bigger franchises like the Yankees, the Giants, and the Dodgers. Rude. I think you should ignore the siren song of the larger franchises <laughs> and build on the core you have. Keep them together. See what you've got. Nice. But then we have to pay people, and the athletics do not want to do that. No, they don't. And actually, I'm going to be hitting on something very similar as you. Similar situation, similar tone. Okay, okay. Uh, Because this week, I'm addressing GM of the Marlins, Kim Ang. Kim, the Marlins are bad. What? They're not the Orioles or the Diamondbacks. No one is. But they're not good. It's over for you this year. You're 16 <laughs> games back with only 17 games left to play. So and you're the, saying there's a chance. <laughs> not <No>. really. <laughs> Mathematically, I'm not even sure that that technically is is true. Feasible. Yeah, the because, team has the high ground. because the scheduling, I think enough of the people in the division play each other mm-hmm. that it is mathematically impossible. Well, I'm not sure. Don't take my word on that. Mets, Mets, Mets. Fortunately, the NL East Ain't exactly the creme de la creme of the professional <laughs> baseball scene. The division leader Braves are sitting at an anemic 76 wins, which is the lowest for any division leader in baseball. Wow. Hey, win your division, maybe make it over 500. <laughs> <laughs> your focus now should be on securing a foundation of bright spots to build upon for the next several seasons. The Marlins don't have a lot in the way of financial commitments heading into this offseason, outside of picking up shortstop Miguel Rojas, Rojas' option, um, but it's time to just use some of that money you're not spending. Go out and extend first baseman Jesus Aguilar. Aguilar has been having a solid year at the plate, but is presumably out for the rest of 2021 with knee inflammation. You discussed the idea of this past trade deadline, but Aguilar didn't show a lot of interest in extending with you. You should use this injury as leverage to secure Aguilar now, and maybe you'd even be able to get him for cheaper than market value. Ooh, that'd be nice. Yeah. That'd be good. I mean, they only wanted to extend him to 2023 originally anyway, so tell him it's like a short two-year extension, you're injured, Yeah, gives you security, because if you go on the market now... Your chances are you are going to make a lot lower. So you have to give them 
Probably less Medium. than market, but better than what other teams would give him. <laughs> that nice sweet spot. It's a nice sweet negotiation. But if you were going to willing to pay him market value to begin with, either way, it's nice. You yeah. know, getting him for cheaper is just the cherry on top of the creme de la creme. As, uh, <laughs> as Mama used to say. Mama used to say. Mama. Who bore me? Musicals. Ooh. And that is the podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our other episodes, please remember to give us a like or a follow. Maybe even leave a review. Definitely tune in for parts two and three of the Babe Ruth saga. Heck yeah. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you may listen to your podcasts. In the words of Babe Ruth, quote, gee, it's lonesome in the outfield. It's hard to keep awake with nothing to do, unquote. <laughs> What a <laughs> so cute! What a sweet pressure. Protect this man. Just <laughs> hilarious because he had such a brash personality. Yeah, and he had man. definitely had like some gout and stuff. Uh, yeah, we'll get I into mean, he it. He definitely didn't say it the way you read it. He probably was just like, "Gee, man, it's kind of boring out here in the outfield." He's probably wheezing all the words. <laughs> He's got a beer in hand, <laughs> out in left field. Beer in hand. Hot dog in the other. Glove is Gloves. in the dugout. Gloves he's just back pocket. He's barehanding those things out there. No, it's another hot dog in his pocket. And a beer in the other one. Oh, babe. Oh, babe. Yeah, babe. We love that. Thanks for listening, and remember, this was Mismanaged. See you next time.